This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me coming to you as I always do these days from my house in Brooklyn. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. It's a Monday. We normally come out with Recode Media on Thursdays, but today's a special day. It is Quibi launch day. Since you listen to this podcast, you know that Quibi is Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg's $1.75 billion bet on the premise that you will pay money to watch short form video on your phone and only on your phone. Um, enormous skepticism about this project, rightly so. I'm still very interested to see how it does. So we talked to Jeffrey Katzenberg from his home. I think he's in Brentwood, not sure. Uh, took a lot of work to set this up. So thanks very much to the folks at the Quibi end and the folks in the Vox Media to make this work while we're at it. Thanks to you guys for listening. We are still trying to figure out the best way to get the best kind of audio to you. And frankly, I'm still learning how to do these remote interviews. Um, I've always insisted in the past on doing interviews face-to-face. It works best for me. I think it works best for the guests, best for the audience. But since I'll be doing these for a long time, I think, um, from someone's house, uh, I'm going to figure out how to make it a better experience for all of us. But again, um, I think this one worked out pretty well. I think you'll enjoy it. After we're done talking to Jeffrey Katzenberg, we hear from my colleague Julia Alexander, who works at The Verge, super smart on video. I can feel her sneaking up on me in, in coverage all the time. Um, she's got a sort of her own opinion about Quibi. It's short, it's sweet. Um, you will enjoy listening to that too. Okay, so here is my interview with Jeffrey Katzenberg. Good morning to you in Los Angeles. Uh, when this comes out, you guys will have finally launched Quibi after what, two years of run up, three years of run up? How long has this been in the works? Three years. You're holding your 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 hands up. We're going to try to not to talk over each other. That's our that's our plan for the audio here. Obviously, this was not the way you wanted to launch the product. You had a uh, obviously you were going to be a, you are doing a big marketing campaign. You were going to do a big launch. I do want to talk about the product and what you're actually going to come out with. But I, I thought we should just start with the news at hand, which is you're doing a major consumer product launch in the beginning of a pandemic. And I'm wondering how you have thought through and, and maybe changed your plans and maybe even have you considered even not doing this launch at the beginning of April? All of the above. And uh, so um, now I'm, I'm a little bit losing track of time myself, Peter, as we know that days are never sure what day of the week we're in. But I would say it's about three weeks, maybe four ago, when it was clear enough that um, we were in for troubled uh, and disruptive times on a scale that none of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. And Meg and I sat together alone for, you know, a good a good couple of hours, you know, with that, you know, the uh, proverbial yellow pad in front of us and sort of what are the things to consider here? Should we go forward? Should we postpone? Should we change the way in which we go forward? And we really had a very... I think, uh, thoughtful and, and in-depth process in which we look through all the different aspects of this. And just to give you really what were the sort of key things that were drivers for us in coming to the decision that we did. So the first, and I think most important thing is from the very outset when we partnered up on this, so it's now almost three years ago, the mission statement for Quibi from day one has been to inform, entertain, and inspire. Like that was the goal of what we wanted this platform to do, what we wanted to offer to customers. And as you know, to make it a beautiful experience uh, on the phone in a way that people had never had before. And when 
we look at today or through three, four weeks ago as we were coming into a potential launch, the one thing that we felt very, very strongly about both of us is that the creative content community of Hollywood, the best filmmakers, storytellers, uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera, producers, studios, entertainment media companies, they have delivered to us spectacular content. They've really done an amazing job. And I, I think that we felt that in terms of that goal, that promise, that opportunity, Quibi, in fact, was going to uh, deliver. And in light of that, the fact that we actually, at a moment in time in which it was clear we were all on our way into, if not already into, uh, some level of quarantine, certainly because, you know, California and L.A. were very early on in, in making those decisions, um, and that the level of disruption that was going to occur in all of our lives was suddenly going to change in really every single way how we conduct our daily lives. And suddenly, people were going to be uh, isolated, um, mostly at, at, at home, and with a whole nother new set of in-between times. And to be able to deliver something during what was already then clearly going to be a time of difficulty, if not desperation, and it has delivered on that, if not more so, we actually could do something nice, meaning inform, entertain, and inspire. And that to bring something to people at a time of great distress that might be a distraction, if not actually a relief, is something that we actually could be proud of and could go forward and do, you know, in an ambitious way with one major change uh, and caveat to that, which is we made the decision then to offer Quibi free to everybody for 90 days. So remember, this is almost four weeks ago and, you know, people were thinking maybe this was going to go on for a couple of weeks. And so obviously things have gone to the extreme, extreme, extremes of what we even thought then. And so I think today sitting here, you know, having launched Quibi a couple of days ago, the fact that we have given it to everybody, everybody and anybody, no matter where you are, can download this app and for the next three months, enjoy this amazing content that the best and most talented storytellers in Hollywood have created. And that really was the decision for us. I can see many pros, one, you've already got the thing rolling, two, um, as we now are sort of understanding, like there's really a lack of new content available on lots of platforms. There's no sports. A lot of the networks are going to run out of shows uh, in the near future. So I can see the advantages. But was there any thought that like this might make sense to hold off a month or two months? Maybe the, maybe the, the climate just isn't right to do a major splashy launch. Well, the answer is yes. We actually weighed that up and thought, and, and that really was our, our, our bet, our gamble, our, uh, we wanted to play offense. And to be the big, new, shiny, fun You've never seen anything like this before. Playing, being able to come to market at a time when the entire world, for all the reasons that we know, is kind of in a defensive posture here. And to be able to come with something that we are proud of and we think actually delivers on its promise actually might turn out to be an advantage. And the only thing that we 
just, you know, over and over and over again wanted to be certain of is, is that we were not taking advantage of people's disadvantage. And that really was the, I think, the, the point for us, the turning point for us that um, encouraged us, really had us walk away that day and decide, put the pedal to the metal, let's actually go do this. And we can be proud of, of this with that sort of very substantive change of just give it to everybody free for three months. You know, if they love it, you know, it'll be great. There'll be good word of mouth. It'll pick on its own virality. And in the long run, it will be good for our brand, uh, good for goodwill. And maybe more people will try it earlier than less people will try it. Two more on this. Uh, one, any content or marketing that you've had to change or get rid of because you think, you know what, we can't have this particular show or this joke or this meme, whatever it is, going up at this time. No. And then I'm wondering how you think and if you've been tracking sort of the one of the trends is that a lot of audio consumption is down, which makes sense. Um, podcasts uh, and music, a lot of that's happening on a commute time or you're out of the house. In the house, it seems to be even when you could listen to that stuff, you're watching screens instead. And it seems like you guys could go either way. You're obviously a screen. It's obviously video. On the other hand, it's sort of, it's explicitly meant for the phone and sort of on the go and in between time. Well, all you have to do is look at the stats. The stats couldn't be clearer about it, which is consumption of content, video content on the phone since this has you know, really kind of started to, you know, the tidal wave that it's been is through the roof. It's up way, way more than television consumption, which, as you know, is also at levels that they have not seen in years. So I'm not sure I can explain, and I don't really, I, mean, I don't have that much insight into radio, into podcasting, but video consumption, whether it's on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, it's through the roof. So People are watching much, much, much more video content on their phone in their in-between moments. And that was, as you know, because we've talked about this in the past, you know, Quibi was literally thought of, we thought of it as you get up in the morning, you leave your house at 7 a.m., you take your television set with you and it's with you for the next 12 hours and you have all of these in-between times. Now, question was, and that's part of what we actually, Meg and I really, you know, try to think through here is, is that you don't have any less in between times right now, literally you as a dad raising two children um, in, in your house, you in fact probably actually have more in between times. They're just different. So yes, you're not driving them to school. You're not picking them up from school. You know, you're not waiting out on a carpool line. You're not at Starbucks waiting to get a cup of coffee. You're not in between a meeting. But think about your day, Peter, right now, you know, as a parent, as a dad, you have all of these moments, these breaks in between the course of your day, whether it's work-related or parent-related in this. And Quibi is there for those five, seven-minute, you know, moments. And you've seen the content. So, you know, I think you've hopefully seen for yourself is there's nothing like it. Just as an aside, Jeffrey, if you can get me more breaks, I'll pay you whatever you want. I need, I need more breaks. I guess, I mean, we sort of exhausted the idea. You, you're, you're doing the launch, you killed the launch party, uh, but everything else just goes. And, and does anything else change besides the, the marketing? So here's the thing that I have found over these last now three weeks, three and a half weeks, 
you know, adversity is in fact the mother of invention. And I have watched us as a company, how we have had to pivot about almost every aspect of what we were doing. There's nothing that has not been affected. But in a way that is remarkable is that every change, that every speed bump, every hurdle, every roadblock that has come our way, that we've actually had to pivot and work through or around, has in hindsight produced a better result for us, in, in my opinion. And so just to give you one perfect example you raised in this, which is, yes, we were going to have this big premiere event and red carpet, and we had literally 250 celebrities from movies, from television, from sports, from music, you name it, all committed, all coming to LA to walk this, the red carpet of all red carpets and to promote it and promote their shows. Well, okay, obviously that went by the wayside pretty quickly. The pivot on that is, is that now every single one of them is out doing on social media, doing it, we're doing a huge thing with Fortnite. We're doing these Instagram TV live interviews. Uh, and it, you, when you see, and now in hindsight, you see back actually what's been done in many ways, there's actually greater value than we were ever going to get from a party and a red carpet. And so, you know, it forced us to go find a better way of work around it. And in that particular case, is it just as good, you know, as the, best, as the best example I can think of of something that what we've ended up doing was 10x as valuable as what that was going to be. I have a very self-interested question. Are you guys cutting your marketing spend? Uh, as you know, that is happening across the board. No. Thank God. Thank you, Quibi. We're very appreciative. Oh, I, by the way, I should point out that I know that Vox Media is doing at least one show and, and maybe more, so we should have that disclosure with you that we are. Yes. My, my bosses are partnering with you. God bless. Yes. So Vox actually has produced a, a terrific uh, show for, for us, uh, Speed Run, which is um, around gaming and esports. Uh, and actually, we're well on the way right now, rushing to put together another show with them that is specific about uh, COVID-19 and how-tos and things to do uh, around it that we're actually quite excited about. All right. I'll, I will ask my employer about that since it's, it's news to me. But uh, the more work, the better. So let's just talk again about the, the big thesis. You, you have been talking about this for many years. I, it's very hard to imagine anyone who listens to this show isn't familiar with it. Let's set the table. The premise is high quality, short form video that you are eventually going to pay for as a consumer. Well, I think I would say sort of more ambitious than that. Uh -huh. um, this, is this is long form entertainment delivered to you in chapters. And, you know, I think the thing that will remain to be proven and, uh, you know, um, uh, everybody has their right to uh, question whether it will happen or not, which is we're not offering a slightly better or even a much better version of what has traditionally been done on the social media platforms. And that's not to take a single thing away from them because I love that content. You and I've talked about this before. The ingenuity and creativity and entrepreneurial uh, work that's done on YouTube and is done on Instagram TV and being done on TikTok, and it's fantastic. It's not what we've done. And what we've done is to actually take the skills, uh, the talent, the resources of top quality Hollywood production and now steered it into a new form of storytelling 
with great resources and a new technology that allows to uh, watching of, of content on a telephone for the first time to actually be beautiful. And again, you can comment on it because you've now actually seen this, so many, hopefully many other people by the time this airs. But the technology that has been created to allow full screen, no matter which way you're ha- holding your phone, and then to see what our filmmakers and storytellers have done with that technology, the innovation and creativity around it, it's actually simply different. So this isn't a question of what people have tried in the past, which is to take the great talent of you know YouTube creators and entrepreneurs and give them more money and make a better version of what they, they've done. We've actually tried to go do something that's actually quite different from that. And as I said, I think that when people now have had a chance to see it, they'll, they'll see for themselves. It's not like anything that you've seen before. My bet is that people will pay for something that is quality, convenient, and premium and un- unique. It's never failed before. So if we do fail, if this does not work, this will be the first time that I know of, one, specific to my experience in my career, and two, to consumer products and consumer habit. So I'll try and explain both of those to you. So to consumer products and consumer habits, I don't think that you could actually name me a widely distributed, widely consumed product that when somebody came along and did a better or more convenient, a premium or a luxury version of it, that some percentage, sometimes a small percentage, but some percentage of people actually would buy it and would see value in that. So I'll give you just two examples. Sneakers. You can buy a pair of 100% great functional sneakers for $19.95 at Walmart. You can go to Nike and get a pair of sneakers for $125 or you can get Air Jordans for $250 or you can go to Supreme and get them for $650 or to Gucci for $1,250. Now, there's no difference between any of those from a functional standpoint, okay? Same things, you know, why do we pay for bottled water? It's free in the faucet, (laughs) you know, why? It's convenient, it's premium. Now, not everybody does it, but there are a lot of people that pay for bottled water. It's a $16 billion uh, industry. So that is true of consumer products. Here's my experience for me in my career, 45 years of being in the storytelling business. I have actually never had a single instance where somebody delivered to me a really, really good, I'm not even going so far as to say great, I'm just saying really, really good movie, television show, animated film, Broadway play, whatever the things are, you know, all of those things and then more. No one's ever delivered a very, very good version of any of those, and it didn't work. You've had flops, right? It's just the nature of the business. Not when they were very, very good. Maybe they didn't work on the first day. Maybe they didn't work in the 10th day or the 30th day. No, very, very good actually always works. In the long run, people will find it, they will discover it, and if it's very, very good, they'll reward you for it. And so I I am of the belief that, you know, Hollywood has turned out and delivered us something that is maybe great, but for sure really, really good. And it's why I continue to believe I don't, you know, Quibi likely isn't a rocket ship. You know, it's a marathon for us, not a sprint. 
This is, we're not Disney where, you know, in the first weeks or whatever, we're going to have, you know, 10 million downloads on this. That's not the way normal life works. They got the greatest brands, the greatest library, Mandalorian, all of these things that make them singular and unique. And there's nothing analogous about, about if we were 10% as successful as Disney, I just want to say to you, one-tenth as successful as Disney, we'd be the most successful launch of a subscription service ever. You get a million subs on the in that first week, you'll be you'll be very happy. Not the first week. It's downloads. Yep. That wasn't subscribers. That's just downloads. Yes. You you are correct. Okay. Um <laughs> I I, I want to ask you about runway and, and, and all that in a second, but I want to go back to the idea of content and good enough. Um, and I get that you're saying this is not a, a, a better version of YouTube or TikTok or social media. This is a, a different kind of content. I look at it, I think, yeah, this looks like stuff I see on Netflix or on CBS. Um, I think that probably cuts both ways. But but the broader question I have is, my kids are now my, my research uh, project for me, right? So I can see how they're consuming. And they consume a lot of stuff. They consume people, they play Fortnite, and they watch people playing Fortnite. And they watch terrible, stupid stuff on YouTube, really moronic meme stuff. And then they'll also watch Die Hard with me because I'm an inappropriate parent. And we also watch uh, Lego Masters. They like all of that stuff. They don't distinguish between good and bad. They just like consuming it. Maybe it's different because they're not paying for it. But I think that sort of omnivorous approach is, is probably pretty common. And so asking someone to say, this is premium, this is something you pay for, as opposed to this is something you like and this is something you watch seems to be the issue for me. Well, but here's the thing. I, I start with the following you know, premise, which, you know, your kids have never seen what we're about to do. So you, there's no, whatever you're asking them to judge, you're asking them to look into around the corner, over the bend, you know, over the horizon and imagine something that they've actually never experienced before. So the presumption that they'll look at our stuff and go, yeah, fine, that's just like everything else that we see. And, you know, it's not, we, we don't have to have it. So dad, don't pony up for us. Now, the problem is, is that your kids are too young for Quibi. It's an adult platform. By the way, that is what my nine-year-old said to me this morning when we were looking through stuff. He said, isn't there stuff for kids here? Uh, I showed him punked, which they can, they definitely, they can figure that out. Uh, but a lot of the stuff you're right is is for uh, someone younger than a teen, for sure. No, it's not. It's a, an adult platform. It's for 18 years old and older. It's 18 to 44 years old, and we're not marketing at your kids. We're not, you know, we're not trying to in any way to not be, you know, completely forthcoming that this was designed for millennials. <clears throat> the content, the stories, the storytellers, the talent. Um, it's a very millennial focused product. I mean, you've got Most Dangerous Game, which is a very classic idea. We're going to hunt humans. Uh, but there's a bunch of stuff that dealt with teen suicide. Did you think about that mix and sort of um, how much stuff that was, I don't even say edgy is the wrong word, but just sort of dark uh, that you wanted to go out with? No, I mean, it's a balance of things here. I, I think that if you, um, you know, if you now look at what's on the app today, there's over 55 shows there's over 500 episodes, and there hopefully is an incredibly diverse offering. You know, we have enough humility to know that we don't know yet. And in the end, you know, the thing that I have felt and lived by my, my, my career is I work for the audience. They're the boss. And the thing I 
just cannot wait for, literally cannot wait for, is feedback. Because up until now, everything has been driven by knowledge, experience, and, you know, instinct. And, you know, starting this past Monday, the 6th, it's now driven on data. And to be able to hear from them, what are they like? How are they watching it? Do they want to watch a chapter a day, which is my fantasy of the way I would love them to consume our content? Because I think that water cooler conversation that will come out of it will actually make it more captivating. Okay, you know what? If the audience says, well, we're just going to wait and watch it when we can just watch them all at once. You know, we'll, you know, we want to be able to binge through them in a day or two. Okay, well, we'll pivot, right? It's, it's, we're, we're a work in progress. So the most dangerous game, I watched the first four episodes of that. That's going to roll out weekly, daily? No, so there'll be, and, and because of our launch pattern, we put three episodes out of that on day one and then an episode every day until it's through, it's, I think it's 14 chapters long. But once they're published, they stay up. So, you know, it's, it is streaming and therefore you can have access to the library anytime. But when we publish a new series, it's an episode a day. Whether it's a punk, there'll be a chat, you know, there'll be a, a punk episode every day for 12 days uh, in season one. There's a, actually season two coming of that. So each series sort of works that either serialized or uh, episodic works on that basis of uh, a publishing uh, an episode a day. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Jeffrey Katzenberg after we hear from one of our fine sponsors. We love our sponsors. And now we're back with Jeffrey Katzenberg. By all accounts, and I have talked to people who've worked worked on Quibi shows, you, Jeffrey Katzenberg, are personally very hands-on on, I think, almost all the elements of these shows. Is this, are you spending more time on the creative content than you have on other projects, or this is just how you handle all your stuff? Well, I, you know, this is unique, so I don't think it's like anything else that I've ever done before, but there's a content team. There's there are about 20 principal leaders on that content team. Uh, they are, in my opinion, they are the best and the brightest uh, from every sort of walk of life within Hollywood and movies and television and uh, uh, news and sports. Like they're, they're, they're diverse in their experiences that they've had, but they're young, they're millennial, they're our audience. And uh, each one of them is as overconfident as you could possibly find. That was a trait I was actually looking for in recruiting them. And their job has been to go out and find things they love and then just make sure I can't talk them out of it. And so the buck has stopped with me, but mine isn't actually to say yes. Mine is just saying, I have 45 years of making so many mistakes. Let's just make new ones. So it's something I, I, you know, I just know from my experience is not going to work. I try and edit out as opposed to me being the, I mean, if you look at the shows that we have, it will not be hard for you to look at that and go, well, gosh, Jeffrey, there's a lot of stuff here that's actually not for you. And that would be a fair assessment. Can you think of something where they brought it to you? You said, I don't get it. And they were so convincing that it's going up anyway. Uh, oh, half of it. Just sort of half, half of it. Half okay. of it. <laughs> yes. I mean, all kinds of things, but that's what's fun about it. And by the way, it they've schooled me. I really feel like I every day I'm learning from them. They are articulate. They are passionate. They are diverse and they are inclusive. 
Um, they come from all different walks of life. If you, you and they're just impressive, and they're strong, and they do fight for the things that they love. You guys have spent a lot of time playing up this turnstile technology, which allows you to watch it in in vertical or, or in horizontal landscape portrait. Beyond that, the tech element of sort of how you create those shows, how you stream them, you're sending two different streams. Is there something that's different creatively about making these shows? You know, when I, if I watch regular TV, those are 10 to 12 minute chunks in the old days, and then they have a commercial. And that's, that kind of seems like, especially with some of those, the dramas you were sending me, it seemed pretty similar. Like it, um, it seemed like a familiar form of storytelling, not radically different. That's not positive or negative. It just seems to be what I saw. Well, there are a couple things I would say. So first, to the technology itself is the answer is absolutely. Um, and it's where our filmmakers, the filmmakers that started at the outset, really, you know, a year and a half ago, the first ones, the first directors that came along and started making content uh, for us, they're the real pioneers. Because we gave them a technology in which we said, in order to make this beautiful on your phone, you actually literally need to start with the portrait version of it, the vertical version of it. And how do you make vertical storytelling immersive, captivating, and most of all, beautiful, and not have it feel like it's confined or constrained or it's clipped at the edges in this? And so that literally is the reverse about how most filmmakers have thought about, they tend to think in horizontal because we see the world in horizontal. So to reverse that and go to vertical versus horizontal as your first objective changed, it literally changed the way they approach cinematography. And this and that is where, and then the first ones that did it, honestly, they just, just did such beautiful work. And we actually sort of built this um, uh, almost library of knowledge from project to project to project. And each new project would contribute to it, and we would pass that on to the next set of filmmakers, very specific techniques about how to move the cameras and how to frame things in it. And so when you see things that were done later on, who had the benefit of the learning of the shows, it just got better and better, and the content got more beautiful as we moved along. So the storytelling part of it, you are correct. And I, you know, I've, I've, you know, talked about this. I hope I'm not being repetitive here uh, for you or for more importantly for our audience. But the thinking behind this is, is that we have actually had two generations of film narrative. The first generation were movies, two-hour stories designed to be watched in a single sitting, primarily in a movie theater. Now, obviously migrated into many other places, but they were two-hour stories to be watched in a single sitting. The next generation of film narrative was television. And these tended to be much, much longer serialized stories that were either 13 episodes or 26 episodes, even the episodic ones, which were meant to be watched an hour at a time over the course of a season. And yes, you are correct. They had act breaks for commercials. So the technique of, of actually writing for things that have chapters to them and then very specifically within the chapter have act breaks for TV commercials We've been doing that in Hollywood for 70 years. And what Quibi is doing is not, we're, we're not new science. We're actually new application of old science. Every episode of This Is Us, the first act break, is at eight minutes and 30 seconds. And it's not 
8.12 one week and 8.42 the next week. So writing to act breaks and having cliffhangers in which they make you want to come back after a couple of minutes of commercial is a technique that the creators, storytellers here in Hollywood understood. And they were easily, I want to say with ease, they pivoted into this form of, okay, well, let's just merge those two ideas together and tell two-hour stories in chapters that are six to 10 minutes in length. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's I, I was talking with uh, some of the networks about how they're, they're adapting to a streaming world, and they're almost doing the reverse in some cases where they're saying, we know that this stuff is going to air still on linear TV. They will write to act breaks. We also assume that a lot of the consumption is going to happen on an SVOD platform. And so we are going to actually create versions um, where you won't, in theory, be able to tell, oh, that's where the ad was supposed to go in that episode of... Well, by the way, the entire library of these shows that are on these streaming platforms today, they're all broadcast TV that are principally about 45 minutes when you take the commercials out of them. Uh, So what are you rooting for within your your slate of shows? They're all your children. You all love them equally. What are are you rooting for? What do you think is going to pop? You can't can't get me on that one. All right. I thought I'd try. (laughs) I do love my children equally. In this, and here's the thing is, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm 100% sure I'll be wrong. I will be surprised by the choices and things that people capture, you know, get onto. Here's the thing. I haven't talked to him, but I am absolutely confident that if two weeks ago I had sat down and asked, or you had asked Ted Sarandos, if you look at the next 30 days of your shows that you're releasing on Netflix, and just pick, what do you think are the two or three biggest hits that you're going to have? Thousand percent, he was not going to say Tiger King. I think you're right. Okay. I think so you're right. You I, 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 I talked to him in early March. He did not bring it up. He said, look out for Tiger King. You're going to love it. I want to talk about money. Uh, you've raised, I think, $1.7 billion, or give or take. Uh, I think that's less than what you were expecting to get when you first started. Um, how has fundraising gone for you? What have you learned about that process and how has that affected what you're making, what you're launching? So first of all, I um, sort of give you the history of this. When I uh, first had this idea without a business plan, I literally said, I think this is going to cost $2 billion. I didn't know anything. I just, other than just sort of put my finger in the air and a little back of the envelope, I thought it would take $2 billion to actually build this business and launch it. Meg Whitman came along and, you know, who's just this amazing, amazing CEO and executive and entrepreneur. And uh, she built a bottoms up business plan for us. And the result of that business plan was we would need a billion dollars to launch uh, plus a couple of months and then another 500 million would give us a runway of about a year. And so our first fundraise, which we successfully completed uh, a year ago, August, we raised that billion dollars, very diverse group of um, uh, all the entertainment and media companies and uh, uh, just a very good group of investors. Uh, And that got us off and started and we were funded for launch plus six months. This last September we went out to raise an additional $500 million that would give us a runway that would give us launch plus a year. 
So that $2 billion number went away a long time ago because it was actually based on guess, whereas the billion five was, ga- was actually no guessing involved in it. It was a very, very detailed business plan. When we went out to raise the money, actually originally uh, uh, in September, uh, things were pretty slow. Uh, I, there were, the market was kind of a bit you know, up and down. And there was, a, you know, as you know, there was kind of a dip in the market there in that sort of October, November period. And we got to uh, that $500 million number uh, before the end of the year. But there had been a number of people who had actually expressed interest in wanting to uh, invest. And so in January, we decided to open it up and to uh, see if we could actually raise another $150 million. Actually, our target was $650. And the demand was actually uh, more than we had anticipated, which is why we ended up raising uh, actually $750 million. Now, the result of that and why that was so important and frankly had such a huge impact on that decision that we talked about at the beginning of this uh, conversation is that it gives us a runway for Quibi to be able to be healthy and well, well well-funded into the fourth quarter of next year, of 2021. And as you know, you've talked to entrepreneurs and, you know, watched the path of startups lots of time. You know, the most important thing is to get out, get launched, learn some lessons about what's working and not working, have the opportunity to pivot on that and to drive your business to the things that are, in fact, where the great success is. Now, maybe we got the content mix right. Maybe we didn't, right? Maybe the product and the user experience is actually a delight and people will be in love with it. Maybe not, right? Maybe our customer acquisition path that we've been on right now needs to be readjusted. Maybe something will change. A hundred percent. And what we wanted to do, and this is where I give Meg a hundred and ten percent of the credit is, is that, you know, she has always been of the school. If you need money, you can't have money. You can't get money. When you don't need money is actually when it's usually available. And she said, I want us to be overfinanced. And I want us to have a runway where we can make many adjustments along the way here. And at the same time, again, I give her all the credit in the world, which is Quibi is designed to very quickly be a cash-positive business, very quickly. And she and I laugh because we're old school. We actually are of the school that revenues have to be greater than expenses. You have to make a profit in your business. And Quibi is the opposite of a business that is built on, well, let's just go get a big audience of people and then we'll see if we can figure out how to make money for it. Meg has designed a business model here between subscription and advertising that actually produces a very, very profitable, uh, high-margin business that should get to cash break even you know, pretty quickly. Like you said, you do have an ad uh, component of this business. There's an ad version of it. Um, you guys had announced you'd, you'd sold out your inventory initially. But you also know that the ad business is is really tumbling along with the rest of the economy. Uh, we don't know when slash how it's going to recover. Do you imagine that you're going to have to go back and say, look, we need to plan for a future where our ad business is significantly smaller uh, than we thought, and that may affect staffing. We may have to do cutbacks, even though we've raised all this money. Listen, 
the world is a changed world today from where it was three months ago, one month ago, one week ago. And we don't have a better crystal ball than anybody else other than knowing the world is still you know, going to go through, continue to go through changes that even today are unimaginable to us. We cannot be predictive of that. And so all we can say is, is we've sold 100% of our ad inventory for the next 12 months till April of next year. It's sold out. We have some of the best companies and the best brands. These are the, you know, solid, solid, solid companies that I am, that every one of which will be in business as much or more so a year from now that they are, they are today. And they are consumer-facing companies that are, you know, in the business of wanting to reach an audience. Um, there are going to be changes. Fortunately, we have now enough financing that we are in a position that we will be able to make the adjustments and the changes that we need to make in order for this to be a profitable, successful business and be able to take on the unknowns that we don't know. I want to ask you a few more Quibi questions and then a couple of just general entertainment questions. Is this, is, I know you have worked in the internet before. I remember you working on pop.com. Obviously you, you've done all sorts of stuff on the internet. I'm assuming though, this is the most sort of immersed you've been in this medium and the idea that you're going to get this immediate, detailed, granular feedback that you could never have gotten when you were making movies or television shows. A lot of people are grappling with sort of what that means for the creative process. Do you like that or would you rather have some mystery and, and not get that instantaneous feedback or, or do you welcome it? I love it. I love it. I can't wait for it. But even even as a, you know, uh, studio executive, as a movie maker, as a storyteller, I've loved that feedback. And, you know, even as old school as it was to you know, years ago, take a movie, go into a movie theater and sit in the back and see how three, 400 people react to a, you know, a, a work in progress to be able to, you know, to actually see your work through the eyes of your customers is a fantastic thing. And I've always loved that. Like I, I loved that process and embraced that process. And to me, this is just that times a thousand, Right. And it's it's incredibly granular and you actually can see it in real time. I, I not only do I welcome it, I actually can't wait for for it. And in the end, it's an aid to judgment. It can't tell you what to do, but it sure can send you powerful, powerful signals. And um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to them. Do you imagine a workflow where, you know, a lot of the, obviously you've shot all this stuff, you've made it. But do you imagine a workflow where you go, um hey, turns out people are enjoying this kind of thing specifically and we should alter what we were planning on making to accommodate that. Either we're shortening the show or whatever whatever it is, we see our audience responding to X or Y. Um, let's change it in as close to real time as possible. Are these going to be sort of things that you make and you send out and you see how they work and then you, you, you retool the next ship? Well, we are. So we have a very, I mean, the beauty, or the, I want to say the beauty, the Fortunate thing for Quibi is, is that right now today, for a whole bunch of reasons, we have a very, very, very big inventory of content. In fact, we have enough content to deliver on the cadence of publishing that we have set out for ourselves all the way up to uh, uh, the November, December, almost Thanksgiving. Yep. Right? So there will no, we, we actually have just a very rich now right. pipeline of content uh, and we've also overdeveloped 
for what you're talking about, which is second cycle. And what I think is what I think we will learn here are do people like movies and chapters? Do they like the unscripted? Do they like more comedy than do they drama? Do they want to be, do they like it when they get scary stuff on this? I, I just, we've, we have such a wide offering that we're doing at this point. I can't, they're not going to love everything. And so to get that feedback and to actually pivot into the things that are most rewarding to the audience, the things that they are consuming with the most enthusiasm you know, is fantastic. I think that is, you know, a, a unique thing about a streaming platform and why I think we will, you know, be able to be so successful. So Quibi has a very, very broad offering. Netflix sort of started narrowly when they started doing original content and now they've gone very broad. Do you imagine that at some point you go, we tried every possible genre. Our audience is really responding to these three or four things, comedy, sports, whatever it is. Quibi is going to become the short form comedy or short form sports or whatever it is that is most resonant. And that becomes your identity and the thing you focus the most on. And you're no longer as broad a service. As long as that's a successful, profitable enterprise and it fine, you know, I have to tell you, and we've talked a little bit about this, Peter, but I actually think the thing that may be among the most surprising and valuable things that we are about to do for our uh, customers is the daily essentials. The fact that we have taken across a very broad uh, swath of uh, verticals, movies, television, sports, news, music, gaming, gossip, entertainment news, like literally there's 18 shows that uh, are a combination of informing, entertaining, uh, and inspiring. We have six talk shows Literally, we have six talk shows. And, you know, until you get to see those, there's a whole volume of things that nobody is actually, you'll only get to see these things starting on Monday uh, when they go live. Um, we've been actually seeing them all week uh, in advance. So I'm sorry, I now remember the show is, you've seen them now for a couple of days. And yeah. my bet is, is that very specifically for you, there are three or four of those daily essentials that are going to give you in a quality way information about a topic that matters a lot to you in such a succinct, beautifully curated you know, way that you're going to say, well, that's, that's invaluable for me. And I'm going to get up every day. And that's where I'm actually going to get my sports news produced by ESPN. Or that's where I'm going to get my music news. Or that's where I'm going to get my entertainment news. Over the last few years, Men, generally men who've been running the biggest media companies in the world, have been either retiring, selling their companies to someone else. Um, you're kind of in that generation. You are in that generation. Is this your last run or is there another project after this? Well, if this is what I hope and imagine and, uh, you know, light candles and cross my fingers uh, uh, for, this will be fulfilling me for a decade or two. And speaking of succession, I got to ask you what you make of what's been going on at Disney, where you had Bob Iger announcing what seemed to be an abrupt departure, but he's actually sticking around for a while. You, of course, have a long history at Disney. What do you what do you make of of what happened there and what is happening there? Well, you know, uh, listen, there there, Bob Iger uh, is in the Hall of Fame of, you know, maybe uh, a handful of the greatest CEOs of our time. Uh, and has done just an extraordinary job 
building and running and managing and creatively leading that company. That's a hard job. On a good day, that's a hard job. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he's been signaling and saying to all of us for a couple of years, you know, I, I'm just, I'm getting to the end of this. You know, he picked in Bob Chapik, uh, an outstanding executive who's been running two thirds of the, uh, of that company quietly, you know, the theme park business and consumer products business. And Bob actually overlapped uh, with me. That's how far back we go. The last two years I was at the Disney company. And so that was back in the Jurassic era. He was a young uh, up and coming uh, uh, executive then in the home video business and was a star then uh, and has gone on to really do a remarkable job theme park business, cruise ship business, consumer products business. He's run all of those exceptionally well. He's different from Bob, but no matter what, whoever came next was going to be different from Bob. Uh, he's got probably the best management team uh, uh, in the entertainment and media uh, business today. Everybody seems to have settled in there and, you know, obviously huge headwinds in the face of COVID-19, but, uh, you know, as experienced and knowledgeable group of people to figure out how they're going to sail through this storm in it. So I cannot say that I personally was hugely surprised that uh, he did it. I was surprised at the immediacy, the timing of it, uh, right. I think like everybody else, but not that he did do it because he's been saying that he's going to do it for a long time. Yeah, I think a bunch of us were skeptical that he was ever going to leave, though, because he kept saying he was going to leave and then and then didn't. But but well, um, we'll tr- we'll bring it back to you. Listen, you can ask anyone who's talked to me. I have been rooting for you because I've always said it's a much better story if you succeed. There is a, a lot of doubt about what you're doing, and it's a much better story for me to write about, for me to cover if you're successful. And now, given where we're at. Um, I would very much like a positive story well, to cover. Thank you, so and I wish you well. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And listen, you know, skepticism when you're doing something that's new, never been done before, you know, that actually has, you know, unique and original uh, equal risky. And risky by definition means, you know, there can be failure, right? So I, I know I don't, you know, I've never been. Uh, I don't resent people's skepticism in it. I understand it. I recognize it. Um, as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't get in the way of our ability to have our best shot. Because in the end, either we delivered and it works, and it's you know going to be a great success, or you know, or we missed the mark in it. I, I think we've hit it, and I'm excited about it, and I understand that it was risky from day one because it's not been done before, and. You know, your skepticism has always come thoughtfully. So thank you for your skepticism. I am rooting so hard to prove your skepticism wrong. That's a polite way to put it. I wish you luck. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know it's a busy time. Thanks. Good luck. Thanks. Thanks again to Jeffrey Katzenberg and Quibi for making that happen. Now we're going to hear from Julia Alexander, who works with me over at The Verge. Um, again, as Julia mentioned, as I mentioned with Katzenberg, uh, Vox Media is doing some kind of programming, maybe more with Quibi. Um, I'm not involved in it, as far as I know, um, but wanted you guys to make sure that you knew that. Okay. I'm here with my colleague from The Verge at Fox Media, Julia Alexander. I don't know what your title is. I think you'd be the person who consumes more content and writes about more content than anyone else I know. And I don't want uh, your employer to know this, but I think you might do it for free. I do a lot of it for You free. do a lot of it. <laughs> and in this case, I'm paying you big money to come talk to us about Quibi, 
uh, you've seen a lot of the shows, a lot of the shows people are getting to watch right now. And I want to know what you think of them, Julia Alexander. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be here. Uh, my overall take on Quibi shows in general from a quality perspective is that it all feels very YouTube-red. That era of like 2015 when YouTube was trying to do premium content, uh, starring a lot of celebrities, but also their YouTube creators. And it just didn't work because that's not what people were going to YouTube for. That's kind of how it feels like with Quibi whenever I watch the short episodes that they release. So let's let's slow down. And, and I got to say, if I'm hoping... So preceding this interview, we're going to have a long interview with Jeffrey Katzenberg. My worry is, I don't think he's going to listen to this part, but I worry that someone's going to report back to him that after he just explained how these were not fancy YouTube clips... That he's going to hear you saying these are fancy YouTube clips that he's <laughs> he's going to blow multiple gaskets. So uh, again, if you're listening to this part of the show, you certainly know what Quibi is. Um, Julia's takeaway is these are upscale. YouTube, by the way, has t multiple times tried to throw money at making stuff, and YouTube Red was the most recent. Um, I watched a couple episodes of their Karate Kid reboot, which was fun. It was fine. I mean, it was like it was TV. Yeah, it was fun. It was like okay TV, and and. Not that you asked me, but that's how Quibi, most of the Quibi stuff looks like to me. Some of it is literally just TV I've seen before, right? Like there's Punked, and it looks just like Punk did back when Ashton Kutcher was the host. Um, and there's other stuff that just sort of looks like reality TV in the same way that reality TV looks like. And other stuff looks like OK TV. Like one of those millions of shows that are on CBS that you don't know exist, but if you're at the gym or you're at an older person's house, um, you might go, oh, I didn't realize LL Cool J was still on the air. And it kind of looks like one of those shows. Right. A lot of it feels like leftovers from the studios and the networks that they thought would not work on their own network and then their own studio and then sold it to Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, something that was like, we have leftover entertainment. We can't really use this. We don't see a way for this to work. Um, especially on the movie front. So there are a bunch of uh, Lighthouse Productions, which is Quibi's top, top tier entertainment. Um, that's the ones with like Sophie Turner and Liam Hemsworth. Um, and a lot of those feel to me like movies that studios knew they weren't going to get a good return on investment on if they released it directly into theaters uh, or even directly to streaming. And so they sold it off. The Dangerous Game, is that a movie? I thought it was like an episodic show. It, all these movies feel like episodic. It, to me, all the things that I'm watching that are supposed to be movies just feel like really long, chopped up series. Yeah. And I think that's what get really is something I can't wrap my head around. I, I spoke to a lot of people who work in short films, and I said, you know, a lot of this doesn't feel like the idea of a short that you watch when you think of like a, an Oscar short, we think of Pixar shorts, where it's like all encompassed, it's one story, and it works out really well in six minutes. The idea that these are just chopped up into different segments that people are going to tune into, for me, I do, I can't wrap my head around it. And it, the issue I run into when I watch certain shows, and I think one of the best ones is the Sophie Turner show, um, which is them basically on, there's a plane crash and they have to figure out how to survive. It takes four, I think three or four episodes before they even get to the airport, before they even it get to the plane. Off with her in some sort of asylum slash wellness slash treatment center. And it's very dark. I didn't get past the first one because I don't, it's not for me. I was watching it thinking this is, doesn't seem different to me than again, like lying on the couch and I'm watching football and I fall asleep. And then there's something on that I wasn't planning on watching and it's on and it's fine. Um, and it's also cause they're eight to 10 minutes long, right? So that's kind of how long a regular television segment is before the commercial comes on. It doesn't, it just sort of seemed like a show 
fine, not not mind blowing. Or the other thing I was thinking about is there's a tons of stuff that I watch on Netflix. Again, not necessarily because I'm not motivated by it. Um, a lot of times it's stuff that I can download onto my phone, and I'll watch it on ten minute chunks on the subway. And it's not ideal, but it works. Um, and especially for like a lot of the bad Netflix movies, you know, the, the underground six or whatever, like in theory, you're supposed to watch it on a giant screen, but it's stupid and you can watch it on your phone. So I, I guess I have two different questions. One, do you think Quibi will appeal to people as is? Let, let's forget snotty people like you and me who are sure. professional gripers and critics for a minute. Just you're a regular person. You have a phone. Um, eventually you're going to travel again. And right now you're in your house. Are you, or do you think a regular person is going to watch Quibi? No, not there's a few reasons. One, I think about the fact that both Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman keep saying that they're not trying to compete with Netflix, which is their opinion. And I get that. And they keep saying things like, you know, we're really trying to compete for attention away from Instagram and TikTok. The thing about Instagram and TikTok, TikTok specifically, is that it doesn't require any attention. You can just kind of flip through it. Um, and then with Instagram and Twitter, you're following people you know, you're following people you like, you're following family members. So you're getting something out of it that is personally relevant to you. Quibi is trying to come in and say, take that 10 minutes of time that you're spending doing that and watch our show instead. But if it takes a few episodes for people to really get invested, and if it's coming from a place where there's no real reason to sign up for it. You think about uh, Disney. Disney has its IP, right? You think, I'm going to watch sign up for this because I want to watch Mandalorian and I, I know there's Star Wars. Quibi doesn't have any library entertainment that you can go and just dig into. It doesn't have any big IP that they're really playing off of. So there's Celeb this idea. They're playing on celebrities, right? He's, Liam Hemsworth is in this show. And then there's, you know, 200 others. And even then, Liam Hemsworth is not exactly, uh, he's far more talented, one could argue, but he's not exactly Kim Kardashian. There's not this, like, immediate, uh, I want to see. Chrissy Teigen has a, has a, I don't know, it's not a reboot of People's Court, but it's Chrissy Teigen's version of People's Court. With her right, mom. and I actually think that is where Quibi could find some of its success, but I don't know if it's via the app or if it's via people kind of screenshotting with captions on and tweeting Christy T in moments, and then it becomes viral, and then maybe people check it out. But the shows that they, the, ironically, the, the where Quibi could succeed, one of the shows I really liked was the um, Idris Elba one, the, where it's Idris Elba, he is partnered up with someone, like a stunt driver, a stuntman, and they take on different challenges. And I watched those episodes, and I thought I could watch this every day for five, six minutes. This is great. This is like mindless entertainment. This is what I want to watch on the subway. But part of me also found that because they spend so much time making these high, cool, explosion, stunt-type scenarios, I wanted to watch it on my TV. Like, I was like, how mm -hmm. do I Chromecast this from my phone to my, my TV? How do I find a way to do this? Yeah, we um, should point out that this is emphatically for your phone. They are not yeah. allowing you the option. I'm sure there is a hack to get it on your TV, but it's specifically not meant for that. Um, one thing you haven't mentioned, by the way, is this turnstile thing, which to me, seems like something they thought through midway through mm -hmm. and bolted on. And the idea is you can watch it in two different directions. And not only can you watch it in two different directions, but it's actually shot two different ways. So one shot is Liam Hemsworth and uh, the guy from the Tarantino Nazi oh, movie. Oh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Witz. <laughs> um, and then if you turn it, then it'll just be Liam Hensworth talking and it's fine. But it, I don't, I just, I get that it's a technically sort of complex thing to do, but it doesn't, it's, I don't think anyone will ever talk about it. Right. 
I went to a preview um, and I got to watch about a couple hours of Quibi, which is a lot because um, they're short films type stuff. And there was a few, a few other people. Uh, no one turned the phone unless they were like, oh, right, there's this thing. And right. I think that plays into, I don't know if they necessarily understand the behavior of people with phones. They understand consumption patterns. Clearly they look at numbers and they're like, people are on their phones, uh, especially globally, like people are spending time watching entertainment on their phones. But the idea that someone is going to shift constantly throughout a series doesn't make any sense because we've tried to do this with other apps, like Snapchat tried to do something similar and no one used it. You just pick one way to go and you use it. And then if you have to turn your phone for some other reason, you do and life moves on. Exactly. Uh, your your countryman Matt Ball and I play a lot of Fortnite and I'm playing it on my <laughs> phone and I only have one way to do it. So that's the way I hold my phone. Let's say it's 2020. I give you $1.75 billion. I say that all the media that's in the world today exists. Netflix exists. YouTube exists. TV exists. Make me something that's designed for the phone. What What would you make? What niche is there to fill or what product would you make that fills that? What, what do you do? I think what it comes down to for me is that it wouldn't be something that's dedicated to creating prestigious entertainment because we don't need that because there is a streaming, an OTT focus that does that well. Like they already are doing that. And because you can get Netflix on your phone and Disney Disney Plus on your phone or wherever, you're not like, it's not like you're starving for high entertainment and call it a high quality entertainment on your phone. So you dispute the thesis that the whole thesis of Quibi is there's not good stuff to watch on your phone. I think, yeah, you can absolutely watch, uh, you, like you said, you can watch something like Six Underground, which is a bad show, or I've seen people watch The Irishman on the subway. You can w see people doing this, but what's filling the hole of like, what can I do on my phone when I'm out, when I'm trying to find something to do is it's just, you're just trying to find something, in my opinion, to satisfy and satiate that boredom. It's And for that, that's where TikTok works really well. It's where parts of YouTube works really well. But TikTok specifically is great because you're flipping through and you're not really paying attention. Or by the way, it's casual games or Instagram or just anything, right? You like, we've been like, there's, I, I, I don't know if this was in the, uh, in the, in the preview you went to, but I, the CES, they had a, they had a, uh, uh, you know, promo thing explaining what you could do with how you, how you might use Quibi. And a use case was you're making coffee. And while you're waiting for the coffee to brew, you pick up your phone right. and you watch it. And I just think, I don't, I don't think people have that. I don't think they're just standing there blank. They might be looking at their phone blankly, but they, they, they know how to occupy that time. They figured that out. And I feel like phones that specifically the way that I use my phone when I pick up my phone and what I'm doing with it because I'm trying to fill time, it's almost like a, a, a fidget spinner type situation where I'm like, I just need to touch something. I just need to fiddle around because I'm waiting, yeah, 30 seconds for this coffee to be made or I'm uh, doing whatever. And Quibi does not fit that paradigm even their their daily essentials so Kubi has a lot m the majority of their content at launch is going to be these daily essentials which, which are is a, 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 a new show or a sports right. show exactly and even then the thing i can't get with Kubi at this point is all of that stuff already exists for free and i can get it in a much more entertaining way via an app like twitter or tiktok or or youtube and i don't need to spend five dollars for ads with ads is this where we we mentioned that our, our our friends at polygon are making a show and i'm sure it's awesome even though i haven't seen it yeah and i think disclaimer wise i'm pretty sure we also have to say that the verge is in talks with quibi to do a show okay you just broke some news there you go no i think uh, that's public i mean I private i, I can't <laughs> 
Well, Katzenberg told me that he, we were working on some sort of uh, coronavirus show. So I don't know wh- who's working on that. <laughs> let's go back to our bosses and ask them. Um, it, it is a dark time. It's a difficult time. Let's let's end on a positive note. Um, find a show for me on Quibi that you like that people should check out because they're going to be able to check it out for free for three months. There is a show. Uh, I believe it's called Flipped. Uh, I'm 95% sure it's called Flipped, and it stars Caitlin Olson and Will Forte. And it is the it, it is like an FX comedy. I loved it dearly, and I would watch it every week if it was on a network like FX. Oh, good, because I watched the first episode and I didn't love it, but you're telling me I should I should keep going? I If you really like Will Forte's type of humor, it's so I do. good. Yeah, and I, I like really liked old, it. I liked her in the old days, too, and she looked different. She looks different now. Yeah, I was re-watching all It's Always Sunny episodes, and I was like, huh. Yeah, but we can all transform ourselves. Julia Alexander, great to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Stay safe. We'll have you back you on too. for an in-person episode at some point. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to this special Quibi episode of Recode Media. Thanks again to Jeffrey Katzenberg and Julie Alexander, and particularly the folks that I work with day to day at Vox Media to get this out the door. Jelani, who produces, Joel, who is editing this. Um, literally cannot make this without you guys, so thanks again. And a bunch of other folks worked to help me figure this one out as well. So thanks to all of you, and thanks to you guys who listen. Thanks for your comments. Uh, thanks for your kind words. We'll see you very soon.